0: Chapter twenty five of Diana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Diana by Susan Warner. Chapter twenty five Miss Collins' work. It was well for Diana that she had got a talisman of better power than the world can manufacture. It was well for her, too, that she followed up earnestly the clue to life which had been given her. If you have a treasure house of supplies and are going to have to get to it in the dark by and by, It is good to learn the way very well while the light is there. For weeks Diana gave herself before all other things to the study of her Bible, and to better understanding of faith's duties and privileges. In all this Basil was a great help, and daily his wife learned more and more to admire and revere the mind and temper of the man she had married. Reverence would have led surely to love, in such a nature as Diana's. But Diana's heart was preoccupied, WHAT LOVE COULD NOT DO, HOWEVER, CONSCIENCE AND GRATITUDE DID, AS FAR AS POSSIBLE. NOTHING THAT CONCERNED BASIL'S COMFORT OR HONOR WAS UNCARED FOR BY HIS WIFE. SO, AMONG OTHER THINGS, SHE NEVER TRUSTED THE CARE OF HIS MEALS ENTIRELY TO MISS COLLINS, AND, QUITE TO THAT LADY'S DISCOMFITURE, WOULD OFTEN COME INTO THE KITCHEN AND PREPARE SOME NICE DISH HERSELF, OR SUPERINTEND THE PREPARATION OF IT. MISS COLLINS RESENTED THIS. She shared the opinion of some of the ladies of the sewing society that Mrs. Masters was quite proud and needed to be taken down a bit, and if she got a good chance, she had it in her mind to do a little of the taking down herself. It was one evening, late in September. Frosts had hardly set in yet, and every change in the light and color carried Diana's mind back to Evan and two years ago and mornings and evenings of that time which were so filled with nameless joys and hopes diana did not give herself to these thoughts nor encourage them they came with the suddenness and the start of lightning merely the color of a hill at sunset was enough to flash back her thoughts to an hour when she was looking for evan or a certain sort of starlight night would recall a particular walk along the meadow fence or a gust and whiff of the wind, would bring with it the thrill that belonged to one certain stormy September night that never faded in her remembrance, or the smell of coffee sometimes, when it was just at a certain stage of preparation, would turn her heart sick. These associations and remembrances were countless and incessant, always under the reminders of the September light and atmosphere, and Diana could not escape from them, though as soon as they came she put them resolutely away. This evening Mr. Masters was out. Diana knew he had gone a long ride, and would be tired. That is, if he ever could be tired. And would be certainly ready for his supper when he came in. So she went out to make ready a certain dish of eggs, which she knew he liked. Such service as this she could do, and she did. There was no thoughtful care, no smallest observance, which could have been rendered by the most devoted affection, which Diana did not give to her husband. "'Except she never offered a kiss, "'or laid her hand in his or upon his shoulder. "'Happily for her, Basil was not a particularly demonstrative man, "'for every caress from him was as vinegar upon nitre. "'She did not show repulsion, that was all.' "'I guess I can do that, Miss Masters,' said her handmaid, "'who always preferred to keep the kitchen for her own domain. "'Diana made no answer.' She was slowly and delicately peeling her eggs, and probably did not notice the remark. Miss Collins, however, resented the neglect. "'Mr. Masters is gone a great deal. It's sort of lonesome up here on the hill. Dreadfully quiet, don't you think it is?' "'I like quiet,' Diana answered absently. "'Do, hey? Well, I always liked life. I never could get too much of that. I should like a soldier's life uncommon.' if I was a man. Diana had finished peeling her eggs, and now began to wash a bunch of green parsley which she had fetched from the garden, daintily dipping it up and down in a bowl of spring-water. It was kind of lively down to the post-office, Miss Collins remarked again, eyeing the beautiful half-bared arm and the whole figure, which in its calm elegance was both imposing and irritating to her. Miss Collins, indeed— had a very undefined sense of the beautiful. Yet she vaguely knew that nobody else in Pleasant Valley looked so, or carried herself so. No other woman's dress adorned her so, or was so set off by the wearer, although Diana's present attire was a very simply made print gown. Not even the stylish ladies of Elmfield produced an equal effect with their French dresses. And was not Diana Miss Darling's daughter? And Diana seemed not to hear or care what she had to say. "'Everybody comes to the post-office,' she went on grimly. "'You have only to watch, and you see all the folks, "'and you know all that is goin' on. "'And that suits me exactly.' "'But you had nothing to do with the post-office,' said Diana. "'How could you see everybody?' "'You keep your eyes open, and you'll see things most places,' said Miss Collins. "'La, I used to be in and out. Why shouldn't I? "'And now and then I'd say to Miss Gunn, "'You're just fagged out with standin' upon your feet.' You just go in there and sit down by the fire, and don't let the pot bile over and put it out, and I'll see to the letters and the folks. And so she did, and so I did. It was as good as a play. How, said Diana, feeling a vague pain at the thought of the post-office, that place where her hopes had died. Somehow there was a vague dread in her heart also, without any reason. Well, you get at folks' secrets, if they have any. "'Miss Collins answered, suddenly checking her flow of words. "'Diana did not ask again. "'The subject was disagreeable. "'She began to cut up her parsley deftly with a sharp knife, "'and her handmaid stood and looked at her. "'Some folks thought, you know, at one time, "'that Mr. Masters was courtin' Feemy Knowlton. "'I didn't let on. "'But, la, I knowed it warn't so. "'Why, there warn't never a letter come from her to him, "'nor went from him to her.' "'She was here herself,' said Diana. "'Why should they write? "'You could tell nothing by that.' "'She weren't here after she had gone away,' said Miss Collins, "'and that was just the time when I knowed all about it. "'I knowed about other people, too.' "'That was also the time after Evan had quitted Pleasant Valley. "'Yet Diana did not know why she could not keep herself from trembling. "'If Evan had written, then, "'this Jemima Collins and her employer, Miss Gunn, "'would have known it and drawn their conclusions.' "'Well, they had no data to go upon now. "'Bring me a little saucepan, Jemima, will you?' "'Jemima brought it. "'Now her mistress—but she never called her so—would be away and off in a minute or two more, and leave her to watch the saucepan, she knew, and her opportunity would be over. "'Still she waited to choose her words. "'You ain't so fond of life as I be,' she observed. "'Perhaps not,' said Diana. "'I do not think I should like a situation in the post-office.' "'But I should have thought you had liked to go all over the world "'and see everything. "'Now Pleasant Valley seems to me something like a corner. "'Why didn't you?' "'Why didn't I what?' said Diana, standing up. "'She had been stooping down over her saucepan, "'which now sat upon a little bed of coals. "'La, you needn't look at me like that,' said Miss Collins, chuckling. "'It's no harm. "'You had your choice, and you chose it. "'Only I would have took the other.' "'The other what?' What would you have taken? Well, I don't know, said Miss Collins. To be sure, one never does know till one is tried, they say. But if I had, I think I should have took t'other one. I do not understand you, said Diana, walking off to the table, where she began to gather up the wrecks of the parsley stems. She felt an odd sensation of cold about the region of her heart, physically very disagreeable. You are hard to make understand, then, said Miss Collins. I suppose you know you had two sweethearts, don't you? And sure enough, you had the pick of the lot. Tain't likely you've forgotten. How dare you speak so? Asked Diana, not passionately, but with a sort of cold despair, eyeing her handmaiden. Dare? Said the latter. Dare what? I ain't sayin' nothin'. Tain't no harm to have two beau. You chose your choice, and he hain't no cause to be uncontented anyhow. "'About t'other one, I don't say nothin.' "'I should think he was. "'But that's natural. "'I suppose he's got over it by now. "'You needn't stand and look. "'He's fur off enough, too. "'Your husband won't be jealous. "'You knowed you had two men after you.' "'I cannot imagine why you say that,' Diana repeated, "'standing as it were at bay. "'How come I to know? "'That's easy. "'Didn't I tell you I was in the post office? "'La, I know I see the letters.' "'Letters?' cried Diana, in a tone which forthwith made Mrs. Collins open all the eyes she had. It was not a scream. It was not even very loud. Yet Miss Collins went into a swift calculation to find out what was in it. Beyond her ken, happily. It was a heart's death cry. "'Yes,' she said stolidly, "'I said letters. Ain't much else goin' on at the post-office, cept letters and papers, and I ain't one of them as sets no account by the papers.' law what do i care for the news at washington i don't know the folks they may all die or get married for what i care but in pleasant valley i know where i be and i know who the folks be and that's what's made me always like to get a chance to sort the letters or hand them out you never saw many letters of mine said diana turning away to hide her lips which she felt were growing strange but she must speak she must know more no said miss collins not letters o your writin ef you mean that letters of mine of any sort, I don't get many letters, some of em's big ones when they come, my didn't I used to wonder what was in em two stamps and three stamps, I s'pose feelin's make heavy weight, Miss Collins laughed a little, two stamps and three stamps, said Diana fiercely, how many were there? I guess I knowed of three, two I handed out of the box myself and Miss Gunn, she said there was another. There was no mistake in them big letters. They was on soft paper, and lots of stamps, as I said. You gave them out? Who to? To Miss Starlin herself, I mind particularly. She come for them herself, and she got them. You don't mean she lost em on her way home. They was postmarked some queer name. But they come from California, I know that. You hain't never forgotten them. I heared it's good to be off with the old love before you're on with the new. But I never heerd of folks forgettin' their love-letters. La, tain't no harm to have love-letters. Nobody can cast that up to ye. You have chosen your choice and it's all right. I reckon most folks would be proud to have somebody else thrown over for them. Diana heard nothing of this. She was standing, deaf and blind, seeming to look out of the window, then slowly, moved by some instinct, not reason, she went out of the kitchen and crept upstairs to her own room and laid herself upon her bed deaf and blind she could neither think nor feel she only thought she knew that she was dead the consciousness of the truth pressed upon her to be numbing but she was utterly unable to separate points or look at the connection of them she had lived and suffered before now she was crushed and dead that was all she knew she could not even measure the full weight of her misery She lay too prostrate beneath it. So things were, when very shortly after the minister came in. He had put up his horse, and came in with his day's work behind him. Diana's little parlour was bright, for a smart fire was blazing. The evenings and mornings were cool now in Pleasant Valley, and the small table stood ready for supper, as Diana had left it. She was upstairs, probably, and upstairs he went, to wash his hands and get ready for the evening— for the minister was the neatest man living. There he found Diana laid upon her bed, where nobody ever saw her in the daytime, and furthermore, lying with that nameless something in all the lines of her figure, which is the expression not of pain, but of despair. And those who have never seen it before read it at first sight. How should it be despair, of course, the minister had no clue to guess. So although it struck him with a sort of strange chill, he supposed she must be suffering from some bodily ailment in spite of the fact that nobody had ever known diana to have so much as a headache in her life until now her face was hid basil went up softly and laid his hand on her shoulder and felt so the slight convulsive shiver that ran over her but his inquiries could get nothing but monosyllables in return hardly that rather inarticulate utterances of assent or dissent to his questions or proposals WAS SHE SUFFERING? YES. WHAT WAS THE CAUSE? NO INTELLIGIBLE ANSWER. WOULD SHE NOT COME DOWN TO TEA? NO. WOULD SHE HAVE ANYTHING? NO. COULD HE DO ANYTHING FOR HER? NO. DIANA, SAID HER HUSBAND TENDERLY, IS IT BAD NEWS? THERE WAS A PAUSE, AND HE WAITED. JUST GO DOWN, SHE MANAGED WITH GREAT DIFFICULTY TO SAY. THERE IS NOTHING THE MATTER WITH ME. I'LL COME BY AND BY. I'LL JUST LIE STILL A LITTLE. She had not shown her face, and the minister quietly withdrew, feeling that here was more than appeared on the surface. There was enough appearing on the surface to make him uneasy, and he paid no attention to Miss Collins, who brought in the supper and bustled about rather more than was necessary. "'Don't ring the bell, Jemima,' Mr. Masters said. "'Mrs. Masters is not coming down.' Miss Collins went on to make the tea. That was always Diana's business. "'What else, her? "'he asked abruptly. "'You ought to know,' said the minister. "'What did she complain of?' "'Complain,' echoed the handmaiden. "'She was as well as you be, "'not five minutes afore you come in.' "'How do you know?' "'Guess I had ought to. "'Why, she was in the kitchen "'talkin' and fiddle faddlin' with them eggs. "'She thinks I ain't up to em. "'There warn't nothin' on earth "'the matter with her then. "'She had sought the table in here "'and fixed up the fire, "'and then she come into the kitchen "'and went to work at the supper.' "'There ain't never nothin' the matter with her.' "'The minister made no sort of remark, nor put any further inquiry, nor even looked curious. "'Miss Collins, however, did. "'Her brain got into a sudden confusion of possibilities. "'Pouring out the tea, she stood by the table reflecting what she should say next. "'I guess she's mad at me,' she began slowly. "'Or maybe she's afeard you'll be mad with her. "'La, tain't nothin'. "'I told her you'd never be jealous.' "'Tain't no harm for a girl to have two bows, is it?' "'The minister gave her a quick look from under his brows, "'and replied calmly, that he supposed not. "'W'all, I told her so, and now she's put out "'cause I noted them letters. La, folks that has a post-office can't help but know "'more o' what concerns their fellow creatures than other folks does. "'I handled them myself, you see, and handed them out, "'leastways two of them. "'That weren't no fault of mine nor of anybody's. La, she needn't to mind.' "'How much tea did you put in, Jemima?' "'I don't know, Mr. Masters. I put in a pinch. Mrs. Masters had ought to have been here to make it herself. She knows how you like it.' "'I like more than such a pinch as this was. If you will empty the teapot, I will make a cup for myself. That will do, thank you.' Left alone, Mr. Masters sat for a little while, with his head on his hand, neglecting the supper. Then he roused himself and went on to make some fresh tea. AND VERY CAREFULLY AND NICELY HE MADE IT, POURING OUT A CUP AND PREPARED IT, PUT IT ON A LITTLE TRAY THEN, AND CARRIED IT STEAMING AND FRAGRANT UP TO HIS WIFE'S ROOM. DIANA WAS LYING JUST AS HE HAD LEFT HER. MR. MASTERS SHUT THE DOOR, AND CAME TO THE BEDSIDE. DI, HE SAID GENTLY, I HAVE BROUGHT YOU A CUP OF TEA. THERE WAS NEITHER ANSWER NOR MOVEMENT. HE REPEATED HIS WORDS. SHE murmured AN UNINTELLIGIBLE REJECTION OF THE PROPOSAL. "'keeping her face carefully covered. "'No,' said he, "'I think you had better take it. "'Lift up your head, Di, and try. "'It is good.' "'The tone was tender and quiet. "'Nevertheless Diana had known Mr. Masters "'long enough to be assured "'that when he had made up his mind to a thing "'there was no bringing him off it. "'She would have to take the tea, "'and as he put his hand under her head to lift her up, "'she suffered him to do it. "'Then he saw her face.' Only by the light of a candle it is true, but that revealed more than enough. So wan, so deathly pale, so dark in the lines round the eyes, and those indescribable shadows which mental pain brings into a face, that her husband's heart sank down. No small matter, easy to blow away, had brought his strong, beautiful Diana to look like that. But his face showed nothing, though indeed she never looked at it, and his voice was clear and gentle, just as usual in the few words he said. He held the cup to her lips, and after she had drank the tea and lay down again, he passed his hand once or twice with a tender touch over her brow and the disordered hair. Then, with no more questions or remarks, he took away the candle and the empty cup, and Diana saw him no more that night. End of chapter twenty-five